much. You know, this, this phenomenon, two phenomenons I'm going to tell you about. First phenomenon is to understand the level of Holy Ghost fire and excitement in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. You guys are truly a fulfillment of prophetic words, prophetic dreams, things that God has in his heart. And I'm going to talk to you about that. The other phenomenon is this. Our next conscious moment, we're going to be walking out of here, maybe getting some coffee, talking to someone, because time passes like that in the presence of God. There's something about when God's presence shows up, like it's like the polar opposite of sitting in the DMV office, right? Like it, you get in the presence of God. And so I want to challenge you right now, right now, put a hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. It doesn't have to be super long, super spiritual. In fact, I just want you to say the following three words on it. I know it's probably more than three words. Say, Holy Spirit, fall on them. Come on, just say, Holy Spirit, fall on them. Put the hand on the neighbor on the other side. Say, Holy Spirit, fall on them in Jesus' name. All right, y'all can be seated. Come on, come on. Man, I tell you what. Uh, how many of you love pastors uh, Russell and Maria, man? I'm telling you what. Like, oh my goodness. You know what I love about Russell? I love a lot of things about Russell. But what I love about Russell is I'm pretty hyper, but compared to this man, I could be subdued. I, I love the fact I could be viewed subdued. His energy levels for the Holy Spirit this guy, I'm, 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 I'm serious. But in all seriousness, just the way that they have raised a standard in the Pacific Northwest, going after full-blown outpouring of the Holy Ghost, unapologetic, preaching the word, not playing. Come on, somebody. We, we're not going to stand up here. If this man is preaching, he ain't going to give you no TED Talk. Come on, somebody. He's, <laughs> he's going to give you a Jesus walk, not a TED Talk. And this... This is what we need. My beautiful wife, Krista, she preached it. I heard, I, I tell people, and, and I mean this in spiritual context, my wife is gangster. Okay, let me explain what I mean. Like, like she, she won't play if she feels that there is a level of oppression in the room on a person. She's going to fight to get that room, that atmosphere, that person as free as they can get in the Holy Ghost. I heard she, she was like, girl, hold my hoop. She took off her hoops. She's by Oakland, Oregon. I'm from inner city Oakland, California. So you, you know how similar those cities are, man, in case you didn't know that, like very urban, right? Oh, my God. I, I am, uh, I'm going to jump right in this. Uh, let, let me first begin by just sharing. We've got some product. I want to give some stuff away, so I'm going to go real quick. I've written a book on revival. I got forwards by two mentors and heroes of mine, Mike Bickle and Winky Prattney. This I Am Your Sign is about, it has nothing to do with astrology, <laughs> for the record. It has everything to do with the third grade awakening, a national outpouring of the spirit, a billion soul harvest, a signs and wonders era that will make 1948 through 1951 tent revivals across the United States. It'll make that look like warm-up act. 
I cover about 40 different revivals, outpourings, awakenings, and reformers, but with each principle as to how God wants to use you as a catalyst for the next great awakening. God didn't save you for such a time as this to stand up, put a buck in a plate, fill a place in a pew, and go back and be unchanged. That God is rolling up his redemptive sleeves. He's very serious about bringing transformation to cities, transformation to regions. I, uh, I wrote this, and I've had this testimony, and I'm going to give this away because you guys are so great listening to this commercial. Uh, my eyes will adjust to the light. I'm a little light sensitive. I'll adjust to that. Don't worry about it in time. Uh, I wrote this book. You know when people say, hey, man, I read that book. It was an easy read. You would hurt my feelings if you said it was an easy read. I wrote this that you would be weeping and wrecked in the introduction. I'm not lying. Weeping and wrecked. And so I want to give this away. Who wants a book on revival? Okay, right there. Sis, right there. If I toss it, are you a good catch? Okay, you're a good catch. Watch out, guy in front. Oh, 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 oh. They left Oakland, but if the Raiders could do that, maybe we could get some W's up in here. I'm football homeless, so don't boo me. I know y'all are Seahawks. I'm football homeless. I'm not even for it. I've written a book, my most recent book on prophetic evangelism, and I, I really believe, I'm convinced, that there's a plan A and a plan B, or there's an approach A, approach B. Programmatic evangelism says, I walk up to my sister, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, Hell is hot, heaven is good, give your life to Jesus Christ. Now, great heroes of mine have written a track, Steps to Peace with God, Four Spiritual Laws, Bill Bright, Billy Graham, love them. I, I honor them, oh my gosh, seriously. I'd put Billy Graham's poster in my room if I could. I'd be a middle-aged black man with gray in his afro, but Billy Graham's poster. Of course, Jesus is higher. But what if I say three years ago you were in an automobile accident, in fact, you were in a Winnebago, rolled over three times, God got you in a hospital. You cried out in the middle of the night, said, God, if you get me up off this hospital bed, I will serve you with all my heart. And by the way, Jesus loves you. It's a wonderful plan for your life. Hell is hot. Heaven's good. Give your life. How many of you think approach B may have a greater impact? I have spent my life training and equipping, save life, training and equipping people in prophetic evangelism. I believe this will revolutionize your life. It's the way to get words of knowledge and the prophetic in the marketplace. I love that we prophesy over people here, but I'd rather be at Starbucks over the barista, the street, come on down in Queen Anne, come on somebody over a college student, someplace. Pastor Russ, I wanna give this to you, bro. Oh, oh, and then we've got a USB, 15 teachings and releases Supernatural, and my wife and I, the only product we both partner with, and it's like on the anointing, on the authority of the believer, how to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, lifestyles of a revivalist. We just picked the most radical subjects we could that will connect you. Okay, sis, we're out of it. I'm going to give that to you. No, this, this will get squirrely. Can you give it to our sister standing? If I throw that, I can see it hitting somebody. Eye, we're going to have to have an eye healing. I would say right after your purpose, the very next most crucial integral element Obviously, identity. Obviously, you coming to know who Christ made you to be. This is what I would call your purpose. But the very next most crucial aspect is placement. I got up one morning in prayer, and I feel like the Lord says there are many that are ignorant of their placement. Just as in life. Why is that important? Because your purpose is tied into where you find your feet. If you're in the wrong place, 
There's an old, old song, must have been the right place but the wrong time. I don't even know the rest of the lyrics, right? I think that there's so many people, and Paul talked about this when he talked about in Acts 17, I think it's about 26, 27, and 8. He says, God has determined your pre-appointed times and the boundaries of your dwelling. That he's telling a group of people, you are ignorant of your placement. Quick. I grew up inner city, Oakland, California. We was poor, not poor, poor. When people, poor people call you poor, you lose your O&R and you don't have $250 to buy a vial from Vanna and they don't accept food stamps or will of fortune. So you just stay poor, right? My dad was not in the picture. He was in the picture. Then he was uh, murdered by policemen. It was a big, huge national court case. He was murdered by policemen, proved in court. I was racially motivated. At that time today, that'd be a multi-million dollar case. At that time, I have two half-sisters, myself. It was 20 grand, 20 grand, 20 grand from the San Jose, California Police Department that could only, use, only be used for education. All of a sudden, I go through my high school years in massive experimentation. It's crazy when the empty place of your heart gets to such a demanding, siren, decibel level that you begin to go into massive experimentation. And at least at this point in high school, I would not commit suicide, but it was like I was trying to commit suicide on an installment plan. You know what I'm talking about? I'm slowly asking the activities that I'm involving myself to not only deaden my pain, but to actually begin to bring a level of rat poisoning emotionally and spiritually to who I was. I didn't know Jesus. My family, my grandmother gets saved. My grandma's an alcoholic all my life. She goes to a small Pentecostal hole in the storefront church in Oakland, California, Lake Merritt. She gets saved. Grandma don't take 12 steps. She took one step to Jesus, and Jesus set her free. She comes back up in our apartment complex. She's breaking all her alcohol bottles. I come back from school, and I'm like, I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of, I'm like, Grandma, what you doing? That's your investment. She put all her Social Security check into Tony's Liquors, right? Like, like buying alcohol. But I couldn't argue with the change of my grandmother. Because of the money's given, I end up choosing a university because my dad was a chemical engineer for IBM, right? Uh, I didn't see that kind of money. He was living pretty nice for that era and that time, being he was a chemical engineer for IBM. But out of my respect for him, I chose an engineering degree. At that time, I wanted computer engineering, not computer science, computer engineering. Computer science is awesome, but I wanted engineering there. So that's actually what my degree is, one of my degrees. And so I'm starting to choose schools. So I'm looking at California Institute of Technology. I'm looking at USC, but then I thought, I love my grandma's cooking too much, man. So I got to be like a place where I could drive back like quick and get some grandma food because dorm food, I don't know about your, if you're at UW or whatever school, I don't know about your dorm food. Our dorm food was like styrofoam with Pennzoil on it, and they call that a taco. Like it was bad, right? So I chose the University of Pacific in Stockton, California, because they could give you a degree in computer engineering. It was kind of more emerging then. And so as I'm at this school, again, the phrase, what happens when you're ignorant of your placement? That you don't realize is that God has moved time. He's moved situations and purposes to get you to a geography right now because what he's about to do, what he's about to pour out, what he's about to unfold in you has everything to do with where you find your feet right now. No one's here by accident. I'm at the University of Pacific and fast forward, the bottom empties out. My grandmother dies. She goes to be with Jesus. 
She was kind of the last. At that point, four of the five closest people to me had died. And I was actually afraid to get in relationship and, and close to anyone because I was afraid you might die too. Like, I don't know what's on me, but I'd like, this is not good, right? And so I began to party. And, and I was already partying, but I'm like kicking it up to dangerous levels of partying at this point. So here's where I arrived and find myself. I'm at the University of Pacific because I had a computer engineering degree. I didn't know that they had a spirit-filled, on-fire campus ministry. And one of my electrical engineering lab, my partner is this, I'll be honest, she's a mousy, quiet girl until she starts talking about Jesus. <laughs> Nobody else wanted to be her partner because she was a Christian because she was nerdy, but she was getting an A in a class. So I'm like, I need her as my partner. I, I need that, like, she's going to help us pass the test. We would run into some struggles, and she would say, okay, we're going to pray. And people say, well, you know, did you object to it? Heck to the no. Yeah, pray. Because I know someplace out there God is there, and he delivered my grandma of alcoholism. He could, man, get us a good grade. You know when people try to walk up to you like they just discovered a fact? I Googled it. I chat GPT'd and found this thing out about God, and it's not true or whatever. I'm like, time out, stop it. I'm not going to base my life on what you Googled last night. I'm going to base my life on what delivered my grandmother from 40 years of alcohol, set her free. You can keep your little Google fact you got last night. You better Google check me on this one. Come on. And so all this stuff's happened. I have a three-part plan. Two parts of it are very stupid. I went out and partied like I'd never partied before. Very dangerous levels, right? That's prong one of my plan. Prong three, next day. And I'm not just talking about I had the idea. Next day, I was going to kill myself. I mean, stupid idea. I was going to do it. It's not even that I hated myself. I don't think I fit the profile of a person that would commit suicide. My friends, the guys in my fraternity, the guys I, we ran with, they, I don't think they would have understood. Char, why, why did you do that? But you don't realize when you get to the empty fumes of a loss of hope, and when you hurt that deep and you put the mask on that long, after a, after a certain point in time, it has an accumulated effect on you. And it was there. But the second part of my plan was genius and is why I came to talk to you tonight. Second part of my plan, I promised my southern black grandma from Dumas, Arkansas, that I would call on her Jesus. And I had this feeling if I didn't, she might grab a calcified biscuit from glory, throw it like Thor's hammer, Euromill, whatever that is, hit you upside the head. Right, grandma would throw biscuits. I, I don't know, or house shoes, or like, I, I, anybody, got a, anybody got black grandmothers here? No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I love that. Y'all put your hand up. Yeah, I got a black grandma. Come on now. All right, all right. I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. I promised my grandma I'd call on her Jesus. I never forget, I was after the party, but before ending my life, I had a plan. So it wasn't just a thought, I, I had a plan. I, I knew how I was going to end my life. I said, Jesus, if you're real and you reveal yourself to me, I will give you everything. And I meant it. I meant it. So many people are trying to ask, is Jesus real? Jesus wants to know if you're real. And there's something about desperation that will get you there, right? You get desperate, you get real, right? And so this is where I may lose some of you, but I don't think so. I've been watching y'all at the altar. I've been seeing what's going on. I don't think I'm going to lose you. I used to share the testimony that a week from that point, Beyond this point, I cried to Jesus. I walked forward to this campus ministry, Kyle uh, It was a spirit-filled ministry. A uh, guy preached a message. I walked forward, gave my life to Christ because I thought people would think I was crazy if I tell them what I'm going to tell you. Before that week, 
The night I cry out to Jesus, Jesus shows up in my room. People say, Sean, how did you come to Jesus? You know, I tell them, Jesus led me to Jesus, okay? Seriously. And he's the, he's the best witness of himself. He showed up in the room, and he had every reason to rebuke me, talk about my immoral lifestyle, the stuff I was taking, stuff I was doing, and all that kind of stuff. And what, first words that come out of Jesus' mouth, I'll be a father to the fatherless. If y'all old enough to have seen Jerry Maguire, he had me at hello, okay? He had me at hello. I get up. I did not realize that this is the fast forward and we're about to go to 1 Samuel chapter 11. That I went to a university thinking in California, my understanding is that you were the closest school that would allow me to get back home, that I could get my grandma's cooking, but I could get my degree in computer engineering but I was ignorant of my placement because it was on that campus that the fire of God fell on my life. I began to witness to people, tell people about Jesus. First 30 days, first month I'm saved, I lead 25 people to Christ. And when you see someone come to Jesus, it's, I'm gonna call Vince Carter in the dunk contest in the bank. It's over, it's over, it's over. And in the midst of that, I became aware of my placement. I thought I'm there to get a degree, which I got my degree, but I was there to be a part of a revival in which I went from being a student to becoming the director, and I got called into full-time ministry right there. Let me, let me read this passage to you because I believe that there are people here that you have lives that are filled with risk, circumstance, emotional attacks, questions, and adversities, because you're ignorant of your placement. If you understood why, then the what would begin to, at that point in time, shrink to the size, right, that it needs to be. And let me tell you this. Well, first of all, let, let, me, let me just read this passage. First Samuel 11, I'm actually going to read just six verses, tell you the rest in time. It says, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, this dude is like a terrorist, and here's the proof of it. He says, make a covenant with us and we'll serve you. So the people are so afraid of Nahash the Ammonite, the moment he bum rushes them, comes up on them, they go, hey, 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 we'll make a covenant with you. Nahash is a godless, pagan-worshipping terrorist. The people of God are so afraid that they're already making compromises in their region. Because Nahash is trying to take their promised land, okay? And it goes back because the Ammonites always felt like they had rights to the land for a whole other story, a whole other message. But now, verse 2, and Nahash the Ammonite answered him and said, On this condition I will make a covenant with you that I may put out, or maybe the word should be, really say, gouge out all of your right eyes and bring a reproach on all Israel. He's saying, I'm not just trying to kind of take your city. I want your entire nation to be demoralized because I'll make a deal with you and I'll explain, I'm gonna carve out your right eye. This is, this is like crazy right here, right? I, I never seen them, none of them Saul movies, but this is like a Saul movie right here. <laughs> I never saw the Saul, okay, just say it, right? Verse three, and the elders of Jabez said, hold on for seven days, somebody say seven. seven. 
that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And if there's no one to save, isn't that sad to be in a crisis and not feel like there is a savior? If there's no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming from behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Verse 6, then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news, and his anger was greatly aroused. His anger was greatly aroused. In the pandemic, and I know none of us want to talk about that too long, so promise, I promise you I won't talk about it too long. My favorite sitcom, I'm a bit old school, I'm an old head in this. My favorite, no, I'm sorry, not sitcom, rom-com. My favorite rom-com is Hitch. Here is the scene that I bet you remember. Will Smith is this dating, like, guru, counselor. He's got one of my favorite comedians uh, that plays Albert, Kevin James, off Old King of Queens, right? Kevin James is an office nerd, by the way, the narrative of that cinematic piece describes, and he wants to go out with the bougie girl. He doesn't have a shot. Her name is Allegra. I remember that because it's not like a pharmaceutical, right? Allegra. <laughs> and so he hires Hitch, and he does get the girl's attention in the boardroom. That's a, that's a funny scene, but here's the scene I'm coming to. He is coming in. Kevin James' character, Albert, is telling Hitch, Will Smith's character, I got a date. I'm going to the office gala with, like, Allegra, and so Will's character says, great, okay, what is it? It's a dance. And he says, okay, <laughs> show me your dance. How many of you remember this, right? <laughs> so Kevin James, I'm forgetting what's first, but somewhere in there, I know he's doing the light the fire move, okay? Y'all remember the light the fire? <laughs> then he's spinning the pizza move. Come on, somebody. And then, I mean, the, the classic, iconic Q-tip in the ear. And if y'all remember the movie, like, go back and Google this. Like, YouTube it. Will slaps him. It wouldn't be the last time. Just saying, right? He goes, whap, whap. And here's the phrase. He says, don't ever do that again. He says to him, right? He says, this is where you live, right? This is where you live. Keep it between the elbows, right? This is at every Christian wedding reception because we get saved and lose our rhythm at the altar. So all the Christians on the, I don't know what happened, right? But we just, we two-stepping, okay? Get your two-step, you know. I don't see no, I don't see no crumping at no Christian. Never mind, y'all, I'm, I'm getting too ghetto for some of y'all. All right, all right. I'm from Oakland. All right, all right, all right. I can't help but think that during the whole pandemic and that whole period that the enemy slapped the body of Christ with a spirit of fear. And then he came back with a backhand of offense. As you look at folks' social media and how crazy folks got, people lost their mind. They was willing to split up the body of Christ over a donkey or an elephant when we should be united in the lion of the tribe of Judah, somebody. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to vote biblically, right? I'm going to try to pray here from God. But I'm not going to be left of the aisle. I'm not going to be right of the aisle. I'm going to be seated. In, come on. In heavenly places. I'm not going to abdicate my proper position with this. 
Because the greatest authority is not in the White House, but the one who's riding a white horse with faithful and true written across his side. The real command control center for America is not the Pentagon, it's the prayer room. Somebody needs to read some Second Chronicles 7.14 and understand if my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from the wicked days, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. I can't help but think the devil slapped the body of Christ with fear and backhanded us. And he says, you keep your Christianity to a Sunday morning expression. You step into church with it, you step to the parking lot, and it ends right there. You, I can't believe, the enemy has slapped the body of Christ and said, you don't really develop an intimate prayer life with God. You only pull out prayers in 911 emergency when everything's gone wrong. Then you begin to pray, but you keep your Christianity right here. But you know what? Kevin James' character did, right? He went to the dance, and he would do the two-step, and then she broke out, and my man just like. <laughs> right, he was just busting a move. I can't help but think that as the enemy has slapped the body of Christ, that in fact, maybe God is saying it's time for somebody to bust a move. Now, Nahash the Ammonite, and, and this, mm, Wow, come on. Nahash the Ammonite, and this comes out in some additional material from the Dead Sea Scrolls that would be right before 2 Samuel 11, 1. Nahash the Ammonite comes up and rolls up on Jabesh Gilead, and they're afraid. They, they said, hey, make a covenant with us. He said, I'll make a covenant with you if you allow me to gouge out your right eye. They said, give us a week to think about it, Okay. Right before that, the Dead Sea Scrolls has material that there is this river. Let, let this, this podium be this river. This is the River Jordan, right? On this side of the river, there were two and a half tribes, Gadites, Rumidites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. The other nine and a half tribes got over the river. You get over the river, you're in the promised land. You're over here, you're in the borderland, right? This is not a good place to be. This, you, you can't be ignorant of your placement. They were subject to attacks. So the, the, the writers and the people that put together the Dead Sea Scrolls, they tell us that Nahash the Ammonite had already gouged out the right eye. That's like, you wonder, how would you have that idea? He gouged out the right eye of so many of the Gadites, Rumanites, and, and, and some of the uh, tribe of Manasseh. They ran up in the village. Like, can you imagine someone bleeding from their eye? I'm not trying to be too graphic. Their eye is gouged out screaming. And now this guy comes up and immediately you go, hey, we want to make a compromise, right? This is the backdrop. So what happens is, this is my question. Why would a terrorist give a people seven days to try to find someone to save them if he's trying to take over? But here is the reason. You ready for this? Number one, he didn't believe anyone would save him. But number two, Seven days, they would become so filled with anxiety and demoralization that when it came time to fight, they would have no energy left to fight. The number one pharmaceutical prescriptions they're making hand over fist dollars is over anxiety. Nahash, whose name, your name means something, right? Your name meant something in the Bible. Nahash means serpent. It means snake. Not hard to find the typology there. He represents the devil. He created an atmosphere where there was such fear. Everyone stayed in place and was really out of fear that they were willing to compromise. 
I think more than the love of a particular sin, I believe that at this stage in time, there are more believers that out of fear are making false concessions. I'm afraid, and as a result of my fear, then, hey, I'm, I'm afraid of the crowds. I need a crowd. I'm afraid of this group. I got to get your likes. I'm afraid of what will happen on my social media and banging. So I got to get more, you know, emojis or more likes or whatever it is. And in getting more likes, we've lost our light. Because the goal isn't to get likes, L-I-K-E-S. The goal is to be light, L-I-G-H-T-S, be lights. I did all right in spelling. Okay, just honest. That's why I went to math and sciences. Anxiety. I think that right now we're seeing anxiety. Okay, one more quick movie and we're well into this. Monsters, Inc. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, I'm a middle-aged black man, but I would get a bowl of cereal and watch cartoons to this day. Monsters, Inc., Sully and Mike Wyskowski are best friends, co-workers at Monsters, Inc. in Mistropolis. They're facing an energy crisis, and here is what the main source of power is. If you remember the movie, it's Scream. And it's sourced from the terrified screams of numerous children that monsters like Mike and Sully scare for a living. And so here's their crisis. Fewer scares equals fewer screams, which equals means energy source, energy shortage. So what they had to do is they had to scare in order to power what they were building. The enemy uses fear. Because if you would step out from that fear, fear of man, fear of rejection, fear of the future, fear of the unknown, fear of my finances, fear of what would go on here, fear of this, fear of that. If you would conquer that level of fear simply by knowing who is on your side, the enemy would no longer empower himself in communities. I remember during COVID, it was scary to come in Seattle in certain places. Y'all had some anarchy going on. But guess what? I have a feeling there aren't fearful folks in this room and something has shifted, something has changed. Anxiety. Let me give you, and I, I tried to get it over, I don't know. Let me tell you the three worst outcomes of anxiety and then go on with this thought. Anxiety is bad for three reasons. Let me give them to you. Number one, anxiety, okay, maybe we didn't get it in time. Anxiety causes your emotions to launch a mutiny against God's truth. Anxieties are bad. Listen to me. Anxieties are dangerous because it causes your emotions to launch a mutiny against God's truth. And you're all in your feelings, Drake. Come on, Drizzle. But you need to be all up in Matthew, Luke, and John. That's what you need to be. Because the moment you're in your feelings, it's easy for the enemy to manipulate that and turn your emotions against you. And all of a sudden, you're walking in anxiety. We had all these fears take place, right? We had all these different things going on. We had uh, the uh, social phobia, agoraphobia, social phobias. All these phobias taking place. And our emotions started to launch a mutiny. Number two, and this is key as well. The second reason why anxiety is horrible, it causes you to lose focus. Some people, your ADD or ADHD, all that stuff, it's really more about fear than it is about the diagnosis that doctor gave you. Because when you're afraid, you lose focus. Courage and vision locks you in. But when you're afraid, your mind is scattering to all the worst possible outcome. You do this worst-case emotional weather forecasting of what will happen tomorrow the next week. And third of all, the third worst outcome of anxiety 
is it causes a siphoning of your energy and your joy. And so what happens, you fade out rather than fire up. I believe that seven days of what happened in Jabesh Gilead is what the enemy wants for the Pacific Northwest. He wants there to be such an anxiety that you don't realize God has you here for a reason. And the God that did before would do it again. Why would you make a compromise with a dude called Snake? Right? Nothing good is going to come out of that. Right? <laughs> swipe left or whatever the way that you reject the person. Maybe it's not a swipe left. I don't know. It depends. Here is what the demon screw tape in C.S. Lewis' book, Screw Tape Letters, was giving advice to a young trainee demon, Wormwood. And here is the quote. C.S. Lewis, a phenomenal author, believer. And this is one demon discipling the next. And here's what he says. He says, there's nothing like anxiety for barricading the human mind against God. He said the enemy, but obviously the enemy's God. There's nothing like anxiety. All right, so here we go. Here is this guy, Nahash Ammonite. He comes up. People are afraid. Why does he want to get out the right eye? Because it's simple, right? If you don't have two eyes, it affects your perception. The enemy wants to bring a level of fear to cause you to lose your sight through anxiety because you lose your perception, you lose your discernment. The other thing is it becomes a reproach. Every younger generation sees you were the generation that wouldn't fight for a generation, and I can see it by the mark in your eye because you wouldn't fight. I'm just going to throw this out there, and I know I'm sweating up here, but part of the reason why I go and do what I do, my wife goes and, and does what she does, and we're still going for it, is that we want to fight for a reference point for an emerging generation that the power of God is the game changer. I'm in a meeting as a young college student. I saw a woman get up out of a wheelchair in my mentor's meeting that I later went to work for and still to this day is my spiritual pops. He, he simply spoke the word, Jesus released power. This woman had not walked in over 10 years. You could see the atrophy leg. She gets up, her little shawl falls off. She starts tiptoeing. Then she starts running back and forth. A, a, a crowd this size of people at Henry J. Kaiser Auditorium in Oakland, they stood up and applauded, but me and this other college student, we fell on the floor weeping. And I said, God, I will spend my life. I will do whatever you ask me to do. Let me see the power of God manifest like that. And I'm telling you, I, I feel bad when all people get is a life coach, quick little talk. When all we do, now don't get me wrong, I believe that God will give you your hashtag best life now, but you got to go through, pick up your cross, deny yourself to follow him to get that best life now. I think we've cheapened and sold this deluded gospel because rather than contend for the true power of the Holy Ghost and the power of the gospel, we've cheapened and offered this little kind of feel-good, touchy-feely thing, and man, we become, oh my gosh. I'm saying right now, we need, it. The, the times we're in dictates that we go after a full gospel, right? Oh my gosh. So... Here is this guy, Jabesh Gilead, is what Nahash the Ammonite terrorist is trying to steal. You know what Jabesh uh, Gilead means? It means stones of memorial or, ready for this, testimony. 
The devil's always after your testimony, right? The moment you share it, right, or God is enacted in your life, the enemy's already at work to try to steal your testimony. He comes up on them. They're making compromises. So here is the next thing that happens. They choose messengers, and the messengers are going to go through all of Israel and find out in seven days, will anyone come and save us? Will anyone fight for us? Now stop for a second. If you knew your life is on the line, at least your right eye and your, your ability, oh yeah, the third reason why you're gouging the right eye is most of these dudes were right-handed. They would have a big shield. Let's say I had a shield on my arm. The shield covers right, excuse me, I'm right-handed. There we go, there we go, I'm right side. The shield covers my left eye. I look over the shield with my right eye, and that's how I fight. To gouge out the right eye of these people rendered them ineffective to ever wage a fight. You would always cave in. You have no ability to fight. And the oppression passes to another generation, passed to another generation. It stays over a city. 1967, I don't know how many of you saw uh, Jesus' Revolution movie. It was phenomenal. But the one thing I wish they would have done for your sake and my sake is they did focus on the baptisms and when Lonnie Frisbee got down to L.A., but what they didn't tell you is the Jesus People Movement didn't start in L.A. You know the two places it's, it, it started? Hayden-Ashbury in San Francisco and Seattle, Washington. A teen challenge worker, Linda Mesner, I write about this in my book, I Am Your Sign. She had a vision of a radical, she called it Jesus Army. So in late 1960s, she had this vision. She came sharing this vision. Sure enough, right after this, there was an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and all these hippies and drug addicts got saved, got on fire. And this was a hot spot in the Jesus People movement. Think of how, and San Francisco, Hayden Ashbury, Ted Wise was there. They formed a place called the, the Living Room and all these, it was a Christian commune. Think of San Francisco and Seattle now, and the devil thinks. But come on, somebody, I'm not ignorant of my placement. You're not ignorant of your placement. For such a time as this. I think, what kind of messengers would you want if your right eye is on the line? Right? Hey, I'm, I'm for being funny. I love humor. But come on, somebody, if my right eye on the line, I don't want you to do some sort of comedy act like you at the Apollo trying not to get pulled out with the cane. Come on, somebody. You got people in pulpits sharing messages like they don't realize, hey, hey if I got to, if we're going to send out messages, I want someone with some urgency, some conviction. I want somebody who's not playing no games. These fools going to try to take out my right eye. Do I want you speaking in muted tones and a, and a message? You don't even talk about the devil. You don't talk about hell. And come on, somebody, if you don't talk about a literal devil, you ain't going to tell people to wage a literal warfare. It's all this mythical thing. And no wonder folks deconstruct underneath your teaching. Because you're not giving them a plumb line of truth. And it's criminal when a Nahash the Ammonite threatened to envision and to put a reproach on another generation and to render a generation spiritually helpless to fight for a generation. The messengers didn't even think enough. By the way, there was a king by the name of Saul. There's one thing, one thing he got right. He'd get a lot of this stuff not right, but he got this right. 
The messengers didn't even go to the king. They're going out their land. Hey, man, this dude, Nash, Ammonite, he's going to gouge out our right eye. Would you come help us fight? Hey, and, no, and according to Scripture, when people would hear it, they weren't like, yeah, we're down. My, my wife and I, we just got back from Scotland, and we went to William Wallace Castle. I had, I, I'm telling you what, I don't know what, I got an anointing of boldness. I got up to the top in Scotland. I went, freedom! I love the Scots, man. Oh, come on, somebody. They, they gangster there too, okay? They, 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 they're gangster. The messengers went out, and whenever the people would hear it, rather than warring, they began weeping. Said, so this is going on, and so they're thinking, it's just a matter of time before it gets to me, and precisely the reason why you need to fight is only a matter of time before it gets to you. And here it is. We're going to begin to land this thing now. Y'all are doing amazing. King Saul, when he first got called out, the Bible says he was hidden amongst the baggage. Little did you know that the man that's going to bring breakthrough is he had got baggage in his life. He had to come out from beneath the baggage in order to get his breakthrough. He's now anointed king, but up to this point, he's not done anything kingly for the most part. And this is what the enemy tries to say. The enemy says to him, you can't make a difference. You have lost your vision. You can't win this fight. The devil tries to tell you you can't win this fight. But listen to me, somebody. I do a little bit of training in mixed martial arts, right? If I started up, which I'm not in my age, right? I jumped in UFC and thought I'm up and coming. If I went 0 for 5, I might not put out any threats on anybody else fighting me. I'd probably just quit and go like, I'm not called to you. The devil is 0 for 5. He lost in heaven when he was the worshiping angel. Some angels kicked his behind out of heaven. He lost in the wilderness when Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. The, the devil left one more opportune time, 0 for 2. He lost the fight at the cross. He thought he could hold God down. But come on, somebody, hope resurrected. Jesus got up out of the tomb on the third day. 0 for 3. The Bible says the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. 0 for 4. And then Revelations 20 says he's going to be bound, gagged up, thrown into the lake of fire where he will be burned day and night forever and ever and ever. Oh, for five. And you're going to let that guy tell you you can't fight? Touch somebody and say, I can fight. I can fight. I got Jesus on my side. I can fight. The messengers weren't getting anyone to come and fight. And I don't know. I, th I, I don't want to pick on the messengers, but maybe there was something that was not conveyed in their message that would cause an army to arise. I'm telling you, I'm just going to put this out there. Saints of the Lord Jesus Christ in Pacific Northwest, we need you to fight. Not just in a worship service where Pastor Mike Lighty and the team leads us in tremendous praise. Come on, you might have to break out in your praise walking across campus, going to work. Come on, being at Boeing or wherever you work at. Here, they're sending a message out. Saul overhears it. And here's the phrase. It says, the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he became angry. If I can get someone to come to the keys. Here's where we're at. We have orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is kind of what you believe. Orthopraxy is what you practice. We have orthodoxy, orthopraxy, 
that the Holy Spirit can fall on us and we laugh. Holy Spirit can fall on us and we fall down. Holy Spirit can fall on us and we get excited. Holy Spirit follows us and we get weak. But what we're going to develop in this next season is the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we get angry. I'm not talking being fleshly belligerent and going and blasting folks. Stop that, okay? I'm just going to say it. But the ability to have a divine outrage that how dare a spirit of suicide, a cutting spirit, a spirit of crystal meth or crack cocaine, a disease. See, we ask for the Holy Spirit to fall on us. But can I submit something to you? When the Holy Spirit falls, it's just not a, a feel-good moment alone. Part of when the Holy Spirit falls, he, he doesn't just come to get you filled up. He comes to get you fed up. Where you go, I'm not going to let demon of depression do me like that anymore. I'm not going to let that, that third-generation disease take out the women in my family anymore. I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to fight. Come on. When the Spirit of God, he got fed up, he got free, filled up, and the people around him got freed up. Because this is what happens. I want to tell you, the hero of our story is not Saul. You read it? The hero of our story is the Holy Ghost. They were weeping. This dude was under baggage. He got all kind of baggage in his life. Come on. But the Holy Spirit falls on him, and this dude becomes an expert where he has no experience. He becomes the leader of an army. He goes from, if you will, of the political right sector into building an army sector. And all of a sudden, the first miracle, like later on, he gathers together tens of thousands of people in Israel. He divides them into three troops. They go, they beat down Nahash and the Ammonites so bad that the Bible narrative says there were no two of them together. In other words, he beat you so bad you can't even agree on your retreat. Like y'all scattered all kind of directions. But can I tell you the first miracle? Woo! The Bible says, he said, bring me two yoke of oxen. The dude had a sword. He chopped up oxen. Chopped them up. Now stop. You ever been to a bakery, excuse me, a butcher shop? <laughs> bakery, the whole other story on that. It was an inner city, but now I want to tell you that Oakland story. Never mind. Before I got saved, <laughs> I had an addiction to maple bars. Okay, so the whole other story. We would stick, never mind, I'll tell you what, not going to glorify that. I might need to go back and write them a check for a maple bar. Never mind. Okay, butcher. They practically have to have a chainsaw to chop up a cow. What kind of supernatural strength comes on a guy who earlier was hiding under his baggage, but now the Spirit of God comes on him. He takes a sword and chops up two oxen while they're alive. That was supernatural strength. That's Hulk-like. But here's what he does. He says, as he sends out chunks, this is why the other messenger's message didn't land. Saul's message landed. And this is the miracle of what I'm seeing with the pursuit. There's a message, and there is the advent of the messenger. Uh, James Burns, in an early revival, their leaders in, in laws, the laws of revival, he says he calls it the advent of a prophet. In other words, God raises up someone who has the, the verbiage 
to a community and a place that unlocks the hidden desires. We've known musicians and poets and hip-hop artists. Oh, my God, you know that lyric in that song, man, when they, they drop that beat, oh, man, those, man, it spoke to where I'm at. When God raises up someone that they begin to have the communication, people respond. And he chops up all these chunks and he sends it out and he says, if you don't come and fight, this is going to happen to your oxen. Don't think you're going to get out of this thing by not coming to them. Don't think Nahash the Ammonite is just going to hit them and not mess with you. He's coming after a whole nation of people. If we can get a breakthrough in our city, Jabesh Gilead, which means testimony, all of the nation will be impacted by what we did. And we will put and set on notice. Devil, you thought you could come to the place just across the river that man looked like it was in moral compromise, turned upside down, and God says, no, I'm going to take a place that looked like it was turned in the wrong way and turn it back for a testimony. And can I ask you a question? Have you got your chunk? Because when each of these dudes got their chunk, the dudes that some of them probably were former weepers now turn warriors. And they responded to the battle and they fought. Final story and we're done. I had said yes to Jesus because he came in one room. He told me about himself and I'm like, yes, yes, you, you got me. How did I precisely kind of receive this? We're all called to ministry, but how did I respond to this vocational call to ministry? There was a gal, Susie was her name, blonde-haired, blue-eyed. She was from Central California. We came in and we did freshman orientation together at the University of Pacific, and I don't know why we ended up meeting each other. It was totally platonic. I was not saved, right, at the time, and I just, I knew she was a bit naive. I'm from Oakland Street Smarts. I, I'm like, she is so sweet. I got to look out for her, and she made me chocolate chip cookies. So at that time, you made me chocolate chip cookies. I, I, I got your back. She became a little sister for this fraternity. I won't mention it. I'm pretty sure this university has it. It's a national fraternity. And they wanted her to become a little sister. And I said, Susie, I see these dudes. Take it from a former wolf, now sheep, okay? I'm looking at current wolves. They're not giving you something for nothing. They would give her roses. They would serenade her outside our dorm. They would do all this stuff. This is before social media. You'd cut out butcher paper and write a message and put it in the middle of the student union. And I'm like, uh, this is what they do to turkeys during the month of September. They're fattening you up for a kill. I said, Susie, don't do it, don't. She said, Sean, you're just so paranoid. You're just suspicious. He's actually suspicious. You're just so suspicious of everybody. And so I remember that night she was going to go for the rush, the incoming of little sisters, and there was a group of them, and she had this beautiful white dress, and I begged her. I said, Susie, don't go. Don't go. I have a bad feeling. Don't go. By this point in time, I'd given my life to Jesus Christ, right? So between our freshman orientation, I'm not saved. By the time she's rushing, rushing this little sister, I am saved. I said, don't do it. Three o'clock in the morning, I, I, I'm a sound sleeper. Like, I sleep hard, y'all. That's a gift. Like, I can get on a plane and, like, I'm asleep before the plane takes off, boom, and we land in the city and I wake up. I mean, my wife said, I wish, can you lay hands? I want that gift, right? <laughs> I hear a sound at three o'clock in the morning. No one else walks to the middle of our dorm hallway and hears it. There's a girl weeping, Susie. Her dress is tore up. There's red stains. Some of it's the punch, some of it's blood. She could, I don't know if you've ever been to that point where you're so hurt you can't even, you're fighting for breath. She couldn't even talk. 
She wakes up in the middle of the night. It's probably about 3 a.m. in the morning. Five, they took it up to a room. They had used Everclear. It's for date rape drug. Everclear was like 100% alcohol. You couldn't smell it. You couldn't taste it. But boy, you'd feel it. They kept spiking her punch, kept handing it to her for the express purpose and agenda that they were going to rape this girl and some other girls. They had already kind of pegged her. She wakes up whatever, two something in the morning, and five guys are on her, and her dress is ripped and like other graphic things that I won't share here. She comes down the hall. I immediately go to the head resident. And, and this is a different era today. Oh, my God. Like, like police would have been on that so quick. It was just a different era when I went to college. And these dudes were in a prestigious fraternity. And a lot of their dads and moms were alumni. They gave money to the university. And so I went to the head resident. I said, hey, man, this thing happened. We got to call authorities. We got to do something on it. And they said, yeah, yeah. And I got Susie over there. She's reporting. I go back to my room and I put on all my clothes. Now, I'm not saying this is a sanctified, well, let me tell the story. I don't, I don't try to, I put on my clothes because I was raised by a grandmother, I was raised by a mom, and I don't, I probably, I don't know that I can respect women any more than I do. I, I guess there's always room for growth. I'm like, I'm gonna go over to this house, I'm gonna beat up, I'm gonna find the five guys in the room because they probably still sleep. I'm gonna beat them up with every, now, now again, there's a, a fraternity house of like 60 dudes. I pledged a fraternity, and if it was fraternity against fraternity, I still think we didn't have 60, but I think we would have beat them down. I, I was ready, but I, never mind, a whole other story. I didn't tell them I didn't want them to get in trouble. I figured, I'm going to go to the hospital, but I'm going to take the five dudes that did this to Susie with me, because you don't do this to a girl. That's wrong. I'm fuming, mad, right? I get all the way up to the stairs of, I almost said, the, I said the fraternity, I was about to say Sigma. Mm, no one say it. I get to the stairs, and I'm, I'm about to walk into fraternity. I'm just going to start swinging. I'm going straight Oakland. I don't know. At that point, I didn't know. I, do, I, I know martial arts now. At that point, I did not know karate, but I knew karate. I'm about to go karate <laughs> on somebody. I get to the stairs, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me. And he says, Sean, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. I collapse on the stairs weeping. Let me tell you why. Yeah, God's speaking to me. But I don't know if you ever had all this anger and all of a sudden you have no place to vent it and it just sinks in on you. And I was, I collapsed. And the Spirit of the Lord says, he says, if you will say yes, I'm putting a call on your life for this university. And if you will say yes, I'll show you how you can end and deal a severe blow to date rape, to drug addiction, at that point in time, there were so many students that were getting tested for HIV positive, and my heart broke knowing that that used to be my group. And I said, yes. In that moment, I got a chunk, but here's what I'm afraid of. You gotta find something that makes you mad. And the Spirit of God come on you so it's sanctified. You gotta get fed up, maybe with some errors in your own life, but you certainly gotta get fed up of saying, the narrative of Seattle must change. I'm not okay with coming to a city and leaving it the same way I found it. If you do that, you're ignorant of your placement. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, I thank you, Father, all across this place. God, the Spirit of the Lord. And Krista, if you get ready, we'll just come up and grab a mic. Lord, we desperately need a new Holy Ghost era. The catalyst for this entire shift and my shift and once I said yes to that calling, I became very shortly thereafter the director of the campus ministry 
and we had a girl who could not speak and she was in special classes there and God opened her mouth and she spoke. And as a result of that, our group, which had uh, shifted from the original founder to another dude and that guy, uh, his wife had a moral failure and so he had to step down and the, the scandal hit our group. We went from a group of 280 to 25 when I took over. And in fact, I had to take over three months into the internship of training for campus ministry which has always been God's M.O. with me. He threw me in the fight before I thought I was ready, but it was the fight that made me ready. And it, in nine months, grew from 25 to 180 students because miracles and the Holy Ghost fell. Lord, I'm a big believer in what's taking place in this region, what's taking place at the pursuit. The Holy Spirit is falling, and you have found vessels that, Lord, have said yes and are willing to be the messengers. And God, in that moment, not only did Jabesh Gilead get free and Nahash the Ammonite got so beat down, none of his guys, none of his army were even together to come in agreement and hold hands. This is no two of them were found together. That's a bad beat down. And I think what would happen if the body of Christ became aware of their placement and to recognize God placed me here as stewards of an outpouring of the Holy Ghost that's gonna put this region on the map for Jesus' glory. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed and I'll go here first. Just take a minute, close your eyes, bow your heads, and here's what I wanna to say to you. There comes a realization when you recognize life doesn't have to hurt like it's hurt any longer. That you can put an end to the cruel experiment, just like I did, of trying to think that the next babe, the next booze, the next blunt, the next whatever can somehow answer the deepest cry of your heart only to realize it, it drops helpless. It drops back with the inner, utter inability to rescue you from the empty place. And only in Christianity, Christianity is not a world religion, but no world religion offers this. Only in Christianity at the other end of your confession comes a new life. Many of them promise a lot of things. And I remember seeing that one expose with Leah Ramini on the behind Scientology and I think people believe that fish route I'm so glad that our founder didn't take off and bury his teachings in a titanium thing and make people pay thousands upon thousands of dollars to get a couple little courses I praise God that Jesus Christ made sure all of us got the manual for living called the Bible and that Jesus promised he would never leave you nor forsake you do not for a moment think that because you don't see Jesus he's not here and that's what makes this moment and your ability to choose Christ such a crucial moment. The only thing that can stop this moment from being the moment of your life is pride that makes you think you could do it on your own. If I could be so straight, I came from San Francisco to tell you, you can't. That a self-made person becomes a self-sabotage person before the day is over. It's something about when you're fashioned by the hand of God. If you're here right now, you're not right with God. You say, Sean, what will it cost me? Everything. You got to repent. You got to surrender. But guess what? You're going to get the better end of this bargain. Because you give up a limited existence and you get eternal life. The devil wants to give you hell to go to hell on. Jesus is here to give you heaven to go to heaven on. It's really a no-brainer. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, pray with me. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to come to Jesus. I need to get back. Maybe you're even here and you say, Sean, I've been the prodigal. I've walked away from God. Well, guess what? The prodigal knew where the father's house is, and somehow you must have found your way. This is the father's house. 
or maybe the current activities of your life, you know God's not blessing. He's here. He loves you. He loves you. He, Jesus essentially said, I'd rather go to hell for you than to heaven, go to heaven without you. You don't slap that hand back. You embrace. He's not here with a Louisville slugger and a lightning bolt. He's here with an extended nail-scarred hand to bring you life. And the Bible talks about in Hebrews the, the power of an endless life. God's gospel is he gives you the power of an endless life. No greater power. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, pray with me. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to come back to Jesus. I need to get right. I've been prodigal. Current activity in life. I know God's not blessed. I need to get right. I need to come to Jesus. If that's you right now, wherever you're at right now, slip your hand up right now. Slip it up wherever you're at. Say, Sean, yes, 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 yes. God bless you. Yes, yes, God bless you. Amen. I mean, yes. I'd say at least 20 hands. If you lifted your hand, would you stand right where you're at? Stand right where you're at. If you hand up, stand up. Hand up, stand up. Come on, come on. I'm counting, I'm counting 23 people. Come on, 23 people stood. Come on. I'm going to pray for you right where you're at. I'm not ashamed to call you up front. Neither should you be af af afraid or ashamed. But I believe this whole room has become an altar. Jesus is here and he loves you. You'll never be the same. You know what? Jesus is not going to give you a problem-free life. He gives you something better than that. He gives you the wherewithal and the resiliency that when life comes swinging, you got a defense. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it are safe. I got a supernatural big brother, and I'm not losing this fight. Neither are you. Amen. Let's pray together.